0: Good evening, listeners. It is the 12th of February, and you're tuned into 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It's currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can only mean one thing it's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. Dissemination. I'm Adrian Gallo. And I'm Steve Friedman. At Oregon State, we have
1: more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration where well, you can find out all about our up-and-coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages.
0: Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or the station. Tonight, we are joined, uh, very very happy to be joined by Vesna Stone from the Anthropology Department. Say hello.
2: Hi, how are you guys?
0: We great. are doing great, on, great. This, on this Sunday evening.
2: Thanks for the invite.
0: Oh, well, well, thank you for participating. Of course. My pleasure. (laughs) So how about you tell the listeners uh, what department you're in, or sorry, um, what you do in the anthropology department, because it is a pretty big umbrella.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, What I do is I'm um, in the master's program. And I'm working on finishing my master's degree in cultural anthropology. And my research is focused on policy recommendation for um, students that are requesting uh, the federal assistance program called SNAP or formerly known as food stamps.
0: So just to make sure we have all, all our ducks in a line. Uh, there are many federal assistance programs that uh, that you that you personally deal with, which we'll we'll get into soon. But the one that you're focused on for the masters is specifically dealing with students' needs, which are slightly different than. Uh, someone who is not a student. Could you describe that a little
2: bit? Well, at this time, um, uh, well, first of all, the SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, or shortly referred to as SNAP, um, is a federal program that helps people that are not making enough money usually under the 185% um, of the federal poverty line, um, get some food assistance. So um, students also as well apply for that program, just like anybody else. And uh, the program covers all 50 states because it's federal and it's 100% federally funded, except uh, when you're a student in higher education, you have to meet other criteria as well to become eligible for food stamps. So um, there's about nine or um, I think actually 10 extra rules that you may qualify as a student on food stamps. So it just so happens that I work for the state of Oregon for the past eight years and I have noticed a pattern of uh, students uh, applying for food stamps and then once asked one of these criterias and um, not being eligible because they didn't qualify based on those extra criterias, I've heard um, anything from uh, how come I don't qualify I can't study while I'm hungry I can uh, or I will drop out of school because I can't feed myself um, and uh, that prompted my scholastic interest in terms of uh, what can I do as a person who um, loves knowledge and wants to uh, help people um, alleviate their poverty and their hunger to make that change happen so I decided that as a master student to um, I can work on this issue in terms of, um, you know, doing surveys, policy interview analysts and uh, what we call participant observation, basically me looking and listening and working with students for the past eight years to, um, you know, make them, you know, eligible for food stamps. And basically, if they know the rules, if they're more knowledgeable, I'm thinking that they would qualify better. And then as such, when I'm done with my master's, provide policy recommendation to the federal government as to say, um, okay, this is what I did, this is what I saw, this is what I heard. And because of that, please change or waive the student rules for food stamps for higher education students. So.
1: Wow, so this is this is something that you were working as a professional for the Department of Human Services, well, I still right? do. Right, I'm, you still I'm do. Correct. Okay. I'm so still
2: you, employed at the Department of Human Services for eight years now. Okay. Um, except uh, what I do um, here is academically connected to my master's. Right. So, so you,
1: you were doing this professionally, and now yes. and then you you saw this issue. Correct. And you were you you. Were, I, have I to, saw the I can need. fix this. Yes. There's, this. This can be <laughs> yes. better. And I so have to. So you kept helping and yes. came back to school to make it better. Absolutely. Simultaneously. And I
2: have to say, I'm in a very <laughs> privileged position, not many people are able to sit on both sides of the aisle, on the side of administering the program and on the side of being a student and recipient of the program. So, and I have been bold and I am bold, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm in a unique position, I think, I believe, to provide extra insight, if you wish, in, in into how that works.
1: Right. and so. And certainly these days, I think a lot of this country would agree that we need more people that are both academics and thinking about this all the time, but also active participants in the real world policy making. Exactly.
2: Because I think uh, the last statistics I saw somewhere was, uh, I mean, don't quote me, but it was kind of like America was somewhere like uh, on the list of developed countries We were like 26th in social assistance to our um, citizens. Yeah. So I I felt we can do much, much better. Mm -hmm. Um, And also in in practical terms, if we support our student for four years while they're like finishing their degree and working on it and not worry about hunger or being hungry, then when they do finish – um, their degree, the unemployment department numbers already show that they are going to be making twice as much as a high school um, graduate and therefore make well above the 185% of the federal poverty line and therefore never need the assistance anymore. So I think that's very important to support someone four years and then never support them in terms of never them needing to be on the system again mm-hmm. versus you know creating possibly generational poverty if a person drops out. Right.
0: So, this is a really strong point that I, I'd like to touch on. It's, it's sure. the idea that if we were to support, or let me just start by saying it is more difficult to apply for SNAPs, the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, if you're a student. But it, it, this makes a lot of sense to me that if you're a student, it becomes far more difficult to do your midterms and your classes if you're hungry. Absolutely. So if we were to make it easier, for students to apply and get funding uh, through the SNAPs program, then that student now has a college degree, and that exactly. student is much less likely to need Absolutely. assistance in the future. Exactly, so we, we're. I, I like the idea of really trying to pay it forward and putting the most bang for our buck. Yes, and it, it
2: seems. It seems pretty reasonable. It seems pretty logical, don't you think? I mean, (laughs) you would think that it shouldn't be on. It should be a no brainer to say, okay, let's support our students for four years and then be done versus like, you know, uh, creating all these barriers. And the argument that I have often heard from people is this one. How come, quoting, how come a homeless person can walk into the DHS office and get, you know, $200 worth of food stamps? No questions asked, no no like, uh, you know, are you working 20 hours? Are you disabled? Are you no no extra questions like we pose to our students who, you know, they say, "Well, I'm having 17 credits this term and, you know, I do work a job 15 hours a week." But just because they don't work 20, instead of the 15, you know, all of a sudden, they somehow they don't qualify. And that's the argument I have heard. How come we're not fostering this good behavior? People who are working, maybe not 20 hours, but still working, and people who are trying to make something of themselves by taking 15, 17 credits, trying to graduate and, you know, take a step up. So um, so therefore, again, I, I think it's very important and crucial to support our students so we can actually, you know, have a population that it's not only only educated but supported in their efforts while they're making the effort mm-hmm. and and you know the absolutely the final result to be like a person with a graduate degree or an undergraduate degree that would never need the food stamps program again so
1: So you, a few minutes ago, you said something that I think is is interesting is you said you're very privileged.
2: Yes, I am. Um, And
1: and so this kind of is a nice... I feel I am. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice segue into what uh, Adrian, I think, is like such an amazing story of, of how you got from you know, where you were born and where you grew up to where you are now, or that you can call yourself a privileged person. So yes. where were you born?
2: <laughs> yes, I was born in Skopje, Macedonia, the former republic of, uh, you know, a form, form one of the former six republics of Yugoslavia called Macedonia. And uh, I uh, left there when I was 24 years old and came here with my husband and my one-year-old um, son. And uh, we actually applied for a green card visa lottery. Right. <laughs> so coming here wasn't an yes. easy thing. You didn't no, just come no, here. No, no. It was a two-year process <laughs> right. about. It was a two-year process of exchanging documents and verifications of nationality, citizenship, birth certificates, whether you have been you know, uh, convicted, arrested, or prosecuted in some way, then medical exams, than an interview with the official at the embassy and uh, you know $1000 per visa um, on our passports in a country with $100 a month salary and of course needless to say only 30 days to enter the country or everything was null and void Mm-hmm. And then, even um, before that 30
0: day timeline, yes. all of the small steps of <laughs> yes. getting employment records and yes. health records, that and all was those were two on a year process, correct? And all those were also on 30 day rotating yes. basis. So, there yes, was something they were always that you needed to always, do. Always,
2: always. And we kept up and kept up. And, you know, needless to say, we entered the country in 30 days with only four suitcases. We sold everything we owned from our house, our car, washer, dryer. What we couldn't <laughs> sell, we just gifted to friends and family, and we just came back. Just with basically our clothes on our back. And um, luckily, I spoke English since I was in third grade, so I didn't find a problem in in terms of communicating here. And, you know, when I showed up for a job at the local hotel, dressed up and with makeup, the lady said, go home. You're not for here. <laughs> <laughs> you look too, like too nice for that job. Yeah, you're, you're looking educated. like a model. Yeah. What, what are you looking for here? And and I told her, I said, well, I have to feed my son just like you have to feed yours, so I need a job. And she was gracious enough, gave me the job at the former Ramada Inn, who, who, which used to be on 9th Street. It's not there anymore. Yeah. Because again, this is 1996 April. So, so again, when you're
0: applying for this for this job, you also have some education under your belt. Absolutely.
2: Too. I have two years of uh, Slavic languages from the Cyril and Methodius University back home in Skopje Macedonia. Yes.
0: So you didn't come to the United States just you know out of whim. You also had no, some education no. on your back. Yes, you had, I did. You had some. You had some money in the bank. Yes, yes. And you're we did. trying to make it. Here yes, in the I wanted
2: States. to be a global citizen. I wanted to, for for some possibly unexplained reason, I felt all this energy and capability to do something better. And I wanted my unborn children to be global citizens and to have uh, you know simply access. It comes down to access to whatever they wanted in the world whether that meant education, whether it meant travel, whether it meant, you know, I don't like it in Oregon anymore, I'm going to go to Florida, whatever it is, you know, there I, I wanted to give them the world, and that's why I brought them here. And uh, my son was only one, but um, again, I was thinking of my unborn children, and I have two <laughs> two girls since then, I have a 20-year-old daughter as well, Angelica, and uh, the little one you see here, Magdalena, <laughs> and my son, Stefan, is 22, Yeah.
1: So something that uh, we kind of glossed through—you uh, got this green card through this two-year process—and. Yes. You came straight to Corvallis, Oregon. Yes,
2: amazingly enough. Which for those of us that were <laughs> yeah. raised in the U.S. and have
1: lived in other places, why Corvallis, um, Oregon? Yeah, when well, you say you came here, you actually mean you I came here to mean, Corvallis. I actually mean, yes, it was
2: a, such a funny story because uh, we only had two like options, really. My, my ex-husband, um, or my husband at the time, he had one cousin here in Corvallis and one colleague um, in um, Oakland, California. So when we were discussing where to go I preferred to go where family is so I told them I, I would rather we go to family so that's how we bought a ticket straight to Portland Oregon one uh, one way right and mm-hmm. we arrived and we stayed there at the airport and waited for three hours and <laughs> no one showed up and <laughs> we were just like okay well we'll I guess we'll just get a cab and you know we know where Corvallis is whatever so <laughs> we just came with a cab And, of course, went to the address and we didn't find them. So I was like, okay, let's just go to the hotel and get a hotel. And we just passed out for two days at the hotel because flight from Macedonia to here, it's about two days and one night active flight. So it's a lot of travel. (laughs) So we were exhausted. (laughs) So
0: if you're just joining us, we're interviewing Vesna Stone. She's from the Department of Anthropology. And she just, she just described her amazing journey that got her here to the United States. But I did want to ask one more sure, question about this journey, and then we'll we'll move on to the current work you're, you're doing. Um, and in one of the interviews, one of the many interviews you had to do in order to be accepted for a green card holder, yes. one of the questions that they asked you very bluntly was, why do you think you can make it in America?
2: Yes, they did. That was actually the first question the lady asked me in a very broken Serbian, because at the time there was no embassy in Macedonia, so we had to travel to Belgrade, Serbia, to conduct this interview that they requested. And I responded to her directly in English, and I Which said... Which she wasn't expecting No, no, she was totally caught off guard. But uh, my question was, uh, and why do you think we wouldn't? I mean, you know, what what makes you think we wouldn't? We're a young couple, which, you know, has a small child and we're fairly healthy and we're coming with money. So, you know, we have $10,000 in our pocket. Why wouldn't we make it? And she said, well, $10,000 is not going to take you far in America. (laughs) And I asked her, I said, would it take us as far as three months? Because that's all I need to find a job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's how that one ended. So uh, needless to say, after that little conversation, she became much nicer. But um, that was the original friction kind (laughs) of (laughs) breaker.
0: A very bold response from Vesna. Absolutely. And and not the last bold response from Vesna as as we (laughs) hear. <laughs> okay, so how about how about we move on? Now you're here in Corvallis, Oregon. You, yes. you've gone through this arduous process of 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 getting of getting this green card, and and now you go from odd job to odd job. Yeah, essentially trying to make it. you're, you're, trying, you're living the American dream, yeah. trying to live it through.
2: Yes, I, I very quickly understood that without college, um, I'm not going to be having any success here. So I pretty much um, sat down one day and I told my husband, I said. I decided to go to college. <laughs> so so he asked, Who's gonna pay the bills? <laughs> and I said, Well, I'm talking about college now, not about a job, and I'm actually not gonna quit my job. I'm gonna go to work and go to school at the same time and be a mother at the same time. And essentially and that's what I did. Jobs. Absolutely. Just yeah. one of them. So essentially, um, Long story short, I got contracted to work at HP on a graveyard shift through CDI, a company that contracted people at the time. So I I used to work like uh, 11 at night uh, until 7 in the morning. And I would get up at 7 in the morning, drive the kids and dress them, get them ready for school, drive them to school at eight ten, then go to school myself from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., take full load, right? Then go pick them up at 2.30, feed them, dress them, whatever, you know. And, uh, you know, as as soon as everybody was nice and content and my husband back from work at about 3.30, I would go to bed at about 5.30 or 6 in the afternoon, get up at 10, put them to bed again, until 11 and be at work, so that was my life for a long time.
1: So for any uh, grad students or undergrads out there thinking I don't have any time to sleep, <laughs> my life is too
2: busy. Shh! <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> shut shut it was
2: brutal. It was brutal for a while. Yes, I think I was like only 140 pounds, and I'm five nine. You know, at 140 wasn't much. And so.
1: How long did you have to maintain that schedule for to get? get I want to say
2: at least six years. Wow. Yes, at least six years, and I graduated in 2006. Um, and at the time, also I got second jobs as well. Like for example I used to work at the HDFS department on a research project for the Human Development and uh, Family Sciences um, College here here at OSU yes under Dr. Richards Um, she was the one that was conducting a study of uh, rural family speak. Uh, State of Oregon was one of 17 states that participated in this federal study and I just uh, took one of her classes and I really wanted to learn how to do research and I just told her that I'm going to volunteer on the project, which I did 20 hours a week. And then after two months, she called me in and she said, I have to pay you. I, I you know, I have to pay, you're doing great work. I have to pay you. And I was like, okay. This so, <laughs> <laughs> is so, kind of crazy because yeah, you're already doing some full-time jobs yeah. instead of
0: raising a family and then yeah. you volunteered to do yes. this. Yes.
2: Well, I, I, again, it was the only way up. How am I to do research now if I didn't, well, if I wasn't given the opportunity to learn how to do research? For for example this professor taught me how to use max qda a research program that was very advanced at the time to do both statistics and narratives at the same time i would have never have access to such a knowledge if i didn't volunteer to be a, a part of this program and um, you know i'm to to this day i'm very grateful for the opportunity because research now seems easier because i i did all these things and volunteered and um simply had the um the desire to learn and know more, do better, you know, because there's always the more and the better to be done.
1: I've so, got one really hard question. Go first. Does your day have twenty four hours in it, or are there thirty? <laughs> are you working on a different time scale? I, I you know what?
2: I, I, don't know. I'm, I'm right now. I'm forty six years old, and sometimes I do feel that you know the day is getting smaller. But, um, <laughs> but I do still try to do and um, you know uh, do everything. Needless to say, I'm still working. I'm still you know doing my research right now. I'm, I'm analyzing my my surveys and you know mm-hmm. plugging it into SPSS and trying to produce tables and this and that. So I'm trying to stay on top of it. And of course, needless to say, I um, just helped my son move to Eugene and I'm helping my other daughter and I'm doing gymnastics and swimming with the little one here. So <laughs> it's uh, it's a never-ending process, but you know what? The world would be a boring place if it weren't that way. I don't know what would I do with myself if I had two hours free, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I mean, if, if the day is getting shorter for you, I think you're just regressing back to the average.
2: My might be, I uh, don't know. <laughs> so,
1: all right. So you 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 went and you got your degree. It took yes. you know a little bit longer, but you were you were busy doing a lot Absolutely, of things. Yes. And now you have your your bachelor's degree. Yes, I do. And so so you can finally go get one normal full paying job. What did you yes, do? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh,
2: but I also did Rotary stuff. I joined Rotary as well. So I did a couple of you know I did a, a global study exchange, group study exchange with them to Peru in to. Uh, 2011. So I spent five years in in Peru, in Lima with the Rotary um, Group Study Exchange. And um, I went to Cuba last year on another scholarship with Pastors for Peace, where I was very privileged again to be there when the U.S. Embassy was opening on the 26th of July. So that was, an, again, a wonderful opportunity. And uh, Back in 2013, I went to Guatemala for four weeks. Went to so Tikal and Uxmal and all those beautiful places that any any anthropologist or archaeologist would want to love to see. So, so I did other things too. But uh, I got my state job, um, which I consider a first uh, class job, um, in uh, May of 2009. So finally, I had full time employment. Um, I I want to say I interviewed about fifty times. And um, two or three people offered me the job, except the Department of Human Services offered me the job first. Mm -hmm. So I said yes to that job, and there was an opening in Roseburg, and they said, are you going to move to Roseburg? And I was like, sure, no problem. We'll, we'll move to Roseburg to get the job. So and then uh, two days later, the archaeologist position I, I interviewed for through, for the state of Oregon in Bend called me and I was like, oh, shucks. I already said <laughs> yes to this guy. So, But needless to say, um, I, I do believe I am where I want to be, which is in a position to administer government programs to help people in need. And that has always been my passion, you know, poverty, underprivileged populations, mothers with dependent children under 18 um, that has always been some, some place where I want to be in a position to help people like that so mm-hmm. and you know again I, I feel privileged and blessed to be there and um, I have changed offices several times um, since uh, Roseburg, I, there was an opening in Corvallis. The two adult children that I have were teenagers at the time. So they really wanted to come back to Corvallis. So I was like, okay. So <laughs> interviewed for the job, got it, got an offer, moved back to Corvallis. And then um, from the downtown office now, in the last five years, actually, I'm at the processing center, which is an undisclosed location where we do all the business over the phone. So. Mm-hmm.
0: You know the, the pity of radio is that you can't see my facial expression, but yeah. in your last uh, mm-hmm. response, I think my jaw dropped four or five times. <laughs> <laughs> you are too kind. <laughs> um, but so okay, so now now you're working uh, with this at, at the state job, yeah, and you've had a couple years of experience under your belt, and this is where I think your perspective of a graduate school and wanting to pursue a graduate degree. Right. <laughs> Uh, being a little bit of a different experience than most graduate students. Because for for most graduates, you know, we take a class and we say, I'm interested in that. Mm-hmm. But for you, it was hearing the stories over and over again. And it was the yes. repetitive nature that I students... simply saw the
2: need. Absolutely. Can,
0: can you describe uh, w- one story or a couple instances that, that really nailed... Uh, this idea home that it is far more difficult for students to get assistance.
2: Well, I had this one client. She was, uh, it was a lady, probably about 19 years old and, you know, probably only one year in college so far. She was some sort of a chemistry, physics, double major, something like that. Um, And she was taking 19 credits that term that she was applying. And I was just like, you know, I mean, needless to say, as a student, both undergrad and grad, I have taken some credits myself, and I know what that load looks like. So I was just like, in awe, I was like, are you serious? I mean, but, but needless to say, here she is, you know, trying to find some help with a With the food stamps, and she only, she had gotten a job, but it's only, as you know, Oregon State usually offers, you know, 10 hours, 15 hours, very seldom you will see, you know, a job go to up to like 20 hours to satisfy this need, right, for the for the students on food stamps so basically she um she was devastated she was crying at my desk you know she was like how am i supposed to study hungry I-, I don't know i'm i'm having all these credits and tons of work and i can't focus in class and when i when i have to go home I-, I after class i have a lab and then i go home and you know i i just cannot work 20 hours a week what am i to do and and of course. I really do believe education is power, you know, and knowledge is power. So I basically told her all all the eligibility rules for students. And I told her, if any one of these changes for you, and all of a sudden one of them applies to you, please reapply. And that's what she did. But um, in order to further that effort... Recently, in a capacity again of a master student for OSU, I um, pre- well, presented, um, you know, my research to the uh, through the CGE, the union, you know, and uh, it was open employees. to yes, and it was open to the undergrad students as well because I do believe that um, not much is known about what all that is required for a student to be eligible for food stamps, and um, for example, on one of my surveys, the question was. Do you believe that students should be eligible to receive SNAP or not? Some people answered, what is SNAP? Mm -hmm. They were (laughs) that far that they didn't even know that there is this federal program of assistance available. So to me, that is sad. It's a sad reality. So knowledge, information, dissemination needs to happen, right? <laughs> so we can share this knowledge and say, hey, these are the stu- the student rules for food stamps. So whether you work 20 hours a week, whether you have a, been awarded work study and actually work in the work study in the term you're applying, If you're a single parent of a child under 11, if you're a primary parent of a child under six in your home, if you're disabled, if you're on unemployment, if you're a Trade Act participant, work initiative participant, you can be a student and qualify for food stamps. And another very little known fact, a student for DHS is only 18 through 49 years of age.
1: Only. So <laughs>
2: correct. So, for example, one of my oldest classmates was uh-huh. seventy-two years old Oy. in my master's program. Right. So, point being, if you're above this age or under this age, none of none of these questions matter anymore. You shouldn't be asked any of those. But um, but still, point being, I would rather. The federal government relook at all the research available all the published you know when when i do finish and publish my thesis just like many other you know students are working on food insecurity and you know food as justice systems and stuff like that i really want the federal government to kind of take a look and say oh maybe we are better off supporting our students for four years and then i really want for the state of oregon policy analysts to say oh, well, maybe we should request more waivers for students from the federal government so we can make more students available for food stamps. I think if we all work together, if we are all knowledgeable and informed as to what that means, we can make life better for many, many, many generations and many people that, you know, go through the college experience because we were lied to once, right? I mean, you know, go get a college degree and then we wake up with thousands of dollars in debt. We don't want to do that again. We want to be knowledgeable. We want to finish and never need food assistance again. Mm-hmm. So that's so, that's what I'm working towards. So
1: I mean, knowing the way the federal government works and how everything's slow, and they still have to, you still have to publish Absolutely. your thesis, and they have to Absolutely. read it and and be convinced oh, yes. at how great it is.
2: I'm sure they're not going to be like, oh my god, this is not published. Great job. No, so no. You,
1: you lifted off the. Uh, the things that make students eligible. And I think we put a link on our blog, uh, blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration. But is there one website you would recommend going to if you're a student, you have um, questions, if you're um, eligible?
2: Uh, well, um, the, the, the page to go to would be the official Oregon.gov, um, uh, the, the official state of Oregon page, right? Okay,
1: so on the Oregon.gov and, and find the SNAP program. Right,
2: and then click on the SNAP program. And I think... I want to say maybe the second link down is am I eligible, mm-hmm. you know, and go from there and click on a student and find out what that means. Okay. But also not just that, uh, this, the, the, CGE CG made the link of my presentation and research available as well. So there is a PowerPoint with all the 10 rules, you know, that, mm-hmm. um, that apply, you know, and that, that is available. So you can just go on the CG page and, and find, or ask them, call them, whatever I and have given permission for my PowerPoint to be available. Okay. To and we
1: can, uh, we can make that available through our Absolutely. blog too or update that. So if people are listening and they want to go to the blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration we will make a link to Perfect. thank you the powerpoint yes. um so you said you're gonna you want to you publish your thesis you're gonna like make the government available of your better ideas
2: <laughs> yes what next
1: <laughs> what's you what's what's the next step you want to take
2: um, I don't know. I, I I was thinking originally that I'm going to invest five to ten years in the state government before I um, invest into a federal government job. And um, to be honest, I envision myself working for the federal government because needless to say, I travel and needless to say, I am from a different place. And um, if you remember the conversation we just had about that lady who was asking me, you know, kind of rudely, what makes you think you're going to be making mm-hmm. it in America? I think I want to be that person on the other side and say, welcome, Mm -hmm. you know, um, how can I help you to be more successful in America? I think uh, perception among other things is very important. And if you have this person on the other side of the aisle, after you have spent all these years and time and money and effort into making it happen to prove yourself and how good you are so you can make it into America, I think having a friendly face on the other side of the aisle is very helpful. And I think I want to be that friendly face. You know, I want to be Uh, possibly a person who works for the federal government and helps Americans abroad with either, you know, people marry abroad, people die abroad, people get children being born abroad, Um, they need a copy of their passport or expedited services of some kind while they're in country on foreign soil. And I think having a friendly, knowledgeable, and educated person on the other side would, uh, you know, would go a long way. And I think that's where I see myself ultimately.
0: Vesna, no, you never cease to amaze me. You want your entire career to be built on helping people. <laughs>
2: yes, absolutely. That's that's me. That's beautiful. Okay. Privately so and and professionally, absolutely <laughs> and academically, yes.
0: So we're coming towards the end of our show. Absolutely. And as part sure. of the show, we have two um, two common things we do for everybody, and the first is we ask for advice. Uh, from our guests and that advice really can be for for anybody somebody who's you know finding it hard to get through school and say they don't have enough time or maybe advice for you in the past so what advice would you give to our listeners
2: oh if i have to choose it would be knowledge is power yeah. <laughs> get educated get knowledgeable know your situations know your you know where are you going why are you wanting it and just get knowledgeable about whatever you're going because um without that um every you know it's everything else is futile, it seems like. So knowledge is power would be my advice. Very
1: cool. Um, before we do our last tradition, Magdalene, you've been sitting there. You've been very good. <laughs> do you want to say hello?
2: Hi, my name is Magdalena.
0: And Magdalena, I, you know, I think it's so exciting to hear your mom tell you all these stories, especially knowledge is power. So uh, I think, I hope, did you come away with a little bit more knowledge than before you walked into this booth?
2: oh. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. I I got a I got a yes. I got I got a yes from How from did Magdalena. you think your
1: mom did on the radio? Good. Good. Alright. Okay. Um oh, I got
2: a passing grade. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so our last tradition and what we'll end the show on here is, uh, we like to let our guests pick a song to play them out to. And we ask that it's something that means something to them, either it's, you know, related to their research or just gets them through hard times or just, you know, has a special, special meaning for whatever reason. So, what did sure. you pick? Why did you pick it? Um
2: well, I think I'm picking um Angie from Rolling Stones and the reason why I picked that because I remember being a teenager and and um, you know, that song came on and I I remember maybe I was in the mood or whatever, but I I remember noticing the guitar, the classic guitar and thinking Oh my god! I gotta learn to play a guitar. <laughs> so, so, so I actually ended up learning the guitar because of that song. So what, it's very meaningful to me.
1: Before, or after you had four jobs and were raising three kids. And <laughs> well, a my first
2: job was at twelve. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was when I had one job and going to high school. So. <laughs> okay.
1: So it's been a pleasure having you on, Vesna. Thank, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thanks for, sharing for the invite. Your
2: story. Absolutely. Thank you.
1: And this is Angie by The Rolling Stones.
2: Angie. Angie. When Angie